Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for February 15th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be diving into the news, including more Kung Fury casting, Sony's Marvel mistakes, a possible all-female MCU movie, Fangoria Returns from the Dead, and reactions to both the Cobra Kai and Incredibles 2 trailers. This is Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. And writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, before we get started, guys, um, oh, we're also going to be doing a mailbag segment on dialects in, in movies. But before we get started, uh, we, we were talking yesterday about um, what you call Gerard Butler fans. And someone on Twitter uh, offered that she was a little disappointed that uh, we didn't refer to Gerard Butler fans as buttheads. So <laughs> I just thought I'd, I'd mention that. I thought it was a clever pun and uh, we love puns here. So, uh, but let's start off uh, with Kung Fury. Um, the, the, yesterday or a couple of days ago, we mentioned that Michael Fassbender had uh, jumped onto a feature uh, length adaptation. Uh, now we're learning that Arnold Schwarzenegger is now going to be the president of the United States in this movie. Jacob, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Well, the news comes out of the European film market in Berlin, where the film's uh, international distribution rights are being sold. Uh, this is very common. There's not even a director yet, but they have a script. They have a cast and trying to say, hey, come look at this movie and, and sell it uh, and, uh, based on just these promising elements. This is where the uh, Fast Minute news came, and this is where the Schwarzenegger news comes. And um, as you mentioned, Peter, Schwarzenegger is playing the president of the United States in this movie, which is the big screen version of that uh, viral 30-minute short that's all of the best and worst 80s movies, cliches, and tropes all wrapped together into one kind of insane package. So like uh, with uh, Hasselhoff, David Hasselhoff, who was also cast in this, they reached out to another icon of the decade to round out the cast. And Schwarzenegger, you know, he, he hasn't had a, he hasn't led a major movie, uh, well, a major successful movie since 2003 with Terminator 3. Uh, since then, it's been a bunch of, you know, 
uh, attempted comebacks never really come together. A lot of like cute cameo appearances. And I read a little bit about this in the article where I, I'm a little disappointed that uh, this is another case where we're just going to be Schwarzenegger probably being trotted out as a as a cameo or a stunt appearance, saying, "Hey, look how funny this is! It's Schwarzenegger. You recognize him." Um, but at the same time, you know, it's if, if you're going to do this kind of movie, you know, why not go get the recognizable icons? Uh, what do you guys think about this? Well, we we talked about Kung Fury a couple days ago. I'm I'm interested to hear from you. Uh, were you a fan of the short film? Um, I think it's a really fun, clever thing for maybe its first 20 minutes. I think it runs out of steam even at 30 minutes. So that's my concern for the feature is that it's going to be a really good joke for the first act. Then you'll start tapping your fingers and go, okay, where's the story? Where are the characters? Because once you start going beyond that short film format, it becomes a question of how do you sustain this? And I'm not so sure if this setup, which is so incredibly cartoonish and comic booky and silly, can sustain it unless they you know, add a real character, add a real story, add a real growth for these people. And the casting of Schwarzenegger and Hasselhoff suggests that, no, they're going to double down the joke. And so it could be really funny. I hope it's funny. I don't see how it can be in this current form. I'm going to have to go to our resident expert who is on top of all the Dundee coverage. Chris, is this a real movie? Uh, I'm, I'm sure it is a real movie. I don't think it's going to be a, a real good movie, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't <laughs> like I said before, when we were talking about the original Kung Fury, the, the original short can barely sustain itself for 30 minutes. So I really don't know how they're going to make this a feature film, but we'll see. HT, do we need Arnold Schwarzenegger as the president? <laughs> I mean, it's a nice nod to how, prominent uh arnold schwarzenegger is in that 80s uh, campy action genre but i don't know i mean i get the feeling that it's going to be just a cameo like jacob said i never actually saw the kung fury short so i can't really say what what i feel about this but yeah, yeah. okay l- let's move on from that to marvel because we have a couple marvel stories to talk about uh the first of which is uh we, we have just learned that sony actually turned down the rights to make movies based on Black Panther, Iron Man, Thor, and more. Chris, you're right up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so the Wall Street Journal um, published this story. It's actually an excerpt from a book by Ben Fritz called The Big Picture, The Fight for the Future of Movies. Uh, And in the story, it details how in 1998, um, Sony went to Marvel to get the, you know, the film rights, the theatrical rights to Spider-Man, because at the time they only had the the DVD rights to the character. And Marvel, they had just, they were just getting out of bankruptcy and they offered Sony what, what what now looks like a great deal. They said, you know, for $25 million dollars, Sony could have the rights to not just Spider-Man, but also Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, Black Panther, basically almost every single character in what we now know as the MCU, Marvel offered that to Sony. And Sony literally said, nobody gives a shit about any of those characters. We just want (laughs) Spider-Man. So, uh, you know, Sony ended up with Spider-Man and, you know, as everyone knows, eventually Marvel and Disney formed this alliance and they created their own, you know, Marvel cinematic universe. But, you know, uh, you know, in retrospect, it looks terrible for Sony at the time. I guess it sort of made sense because it's true at the time. You know, Iron Man, all those characters, they weren't really that well known. But 
you know, uh, now in retrospect, I'm sure Sony is kicking themselves because they could have had what we now know as the MCU to themselves, and they they basically blew it. Like, I mean, obviously hindsight is 2020, um, and this looks like a ridiculously bad uh, move by whoever was in charge at, at Sony at the time. Um, but I, I mean, I mean, I do remember, you know, going back a decade. I remember Iron Man was, you know, uh, John Favreau was at Comic Con with Iron Man, and before that, everybody was like talking shit about that like you know it, 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 not many people actually had faith in iron man as a big screen movie they thought it was going to be kind of like a c-list uh superhero film like you know kind of like i guess in the the realm of like blade or something like that so i, I don't think anybody but maybe kevin feige saw you know what could be coming of the mcu but um yeah i, I mean it, jacob is this a monumentally bad move that Sony made. I, in retrospect, it's fascinating, uh, and it's and knowing how much people embrace those characters, yeah, it is a bad move. But at the same time, Sony doesn't have a Kevin Feige. They don't have a the creative mind who created the MCU. So even if Sony did get Thor and Iron Man, uh, history is completely different. We don't we don't get those same movies under Sony. We get something a very different uh, superhero movie landscape. So. Uh, we we, yes. we 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 don't get Spider-Man Homecoming. We get the Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, and we get uh, the Nick Cassavetes directed Tom Cruise starring Iron Man movie that was rumored for, for a couple of years back in the early two thousands. <laughs> uh, but it's it, it's interesting because it's it's easy for us to say, oh man, they they screwed up, and yeah, they did screw up. But um, them not doing this uh, is the best thing that could have happened to these characters because they they found the right home with the great creative vision. So it's a really, really cool, fun, funny story. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think there's like a huge missed opportunity for Sony because there's no way they would have done the same thing. Okay. Let's move on from this to another Marvel story. Uh, I think a few months ago we talked about, uh, Tessa Thompson, and a bunch of the female, uh, Marvel actresses approaching Kevin Feige at, uh, the premiere of what Thor Ragnarok. Um, basically saying that when's it going to be their time to have a movie together? Uh, now we have learned that Marvel actually has an interest in an all-female superhero movie. HG, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so Tessa Thompson gave us a sort of update on this all-female Marvel movie. And she said that, I'm not Marvel, so I can't make it happen, but I can tell you that Marvel is hugely collaborative, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think Marvel boss Kevin Feige is really excited by the idea and if you look at what what's happened already in Phase 4 with me and um, Valkyrie and our story, then in Black Panther, the woman rules supreme. So she said they're doing Captain Marvel, they're doing Black Widow. There's an interest in having women at the forefront of this phase. And she said she's really hopeful that this movie will actually happen. And um, in that story that we p- reported earlier back in uh, October, Kevin Feige did actually say yes when, like, when – uh, Tessa Thompson and all the other Marvel actresses uh, approached him. So that was kind of confirmation, but at the same time here we have a little bit more um, sort of support in uh, that this movie will happen, especially now that, like like uh, Tessa Thompson said, the Black Widow movie is moving forward and um, the female characters are so strong in Black Panther. So I do think that this movie might actually come to fruition. We, we've talked a little bit in the past about how, you know, Marvel's kind of going away from these phases. Um, you know, it, it seems kind of like, 
I'm not sure where you can go in Marvel after you've reached the heights of like an Infinity War. Um, you know, a two foam epic uh, event of that nature. But uh, to me, the the only thing that seems really obvious is get those you know female superheroes together and have their own female Avengers. Um, Jacob, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, my thoughts are I will believe it when it happens. I mean, I love Marvel. Uh, I love them to death, as I've made very clear in the past. But they've dragged their feet on getting Black Panther and getting Captain Marvel together. Uh, I think uh, Kevin... A Black Fe- Widow, you mean? Yes, thank you. Uh, I think that um, uh, I, I think that Kevin Feige is so very good at talking and so very, very good at, um, at making people feel better about things while saying nothing that I think we'll be hearing about this movie for a few years. And if it doesn't happen, um, maybe 2021, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> hope on it. I wouldn't count on it happening uh, right around the corner. We do need to build up some of these uh, female Marvel characters like Captain Marvel and, and such. Uh, you know, you don't want to pull a DC and just, you know, have a movie where you introduce some of those characters and, and put them in a, in a film together. Um so you might be right. We might be waiting a few more years, but it seems like there's too much money on the table for Disney and Marvel to, you know, deny uh, that kind of uh, movie from actually happening. I certainly uh, hope so. I mean, Wonder Woman and Black Panther are proving that uh, contrary to popular belief, black people and women like going to the movies. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, let's move on to uh, Fangoria. Fangoria was a famous horror magazine. Uh, it kind of uh, puttered out of existence, what, last year or a couple of years ago? And uh, it is now rising from the grave. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, I feel like everyone knows, but if not, Fangoria was you know a huge deal. It was... It wasn't the only name in horror, but it was the most prominent name. And, you know, for decades... It was this big horror magazine, and then it slowly started to, you know, die, basically. And they ran into financial trouble, and, you know, it was a whole big story, and they basically called it quits. It it seemed like Fangoria was gone for, you know, good. But now... um, Well, the the weird thing is they didn't even officially call it quits. It, like, just stopped happening. Right, they just stopped publishing, and there was an interview, I think, with the, uh, the publisher saying it's unlikely they'll ever publish again. But now uh, Cinestate, which is this um, a production company from Texas, they've produced films like uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 and Bone Tomahawk. They have purchased the rights to – not the rights, but they, the, uh, the publishing rights to Fangoria, and they're going to start it up again. Um, the plan is to come back in the fall as a print magazine uh, just in time for Halloween. And there's a whole plan to turn it into this whole brand thing with podcasts – and movies and all, you know, books, this whole, you know, the whole shebang. And it's exciting. You know, as someone who grew up with Fangoria, I'm excited to see it come back. I am a little, uh, not to be negative, but I am skeptical about, you know, print magazines. As much as, you know, I love print, it's, you know, not as exciting as it was. It's not, it doesn't sell as much as it, it did back in the day. So I'm hoping it will be successful, but uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm very skeptical because uh you know, we live in a world where you know like bloody disgusting and shock till you drop and there's all these horror websites out there that are kind of doing what you know, when I used to read Fangoria, like you know, half of it was like the news and learning about, you know, stuff coming out. I feel like that place has already been, 
you know, uh, satisfied by, you know, free ad supported content on the web. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, how many people are actually going to subscribe to a print magazine these days? I, uh, I don't read many print magazines, uh, I, I was just telling Jacob online that, like, you know, one one of uh, the biggest magazines in uh, for magicians that had been around for you know decades went out of existence uh, this past year. Um, you know, print. You know, p- people print isn't doing well. You know, it's online that's doing well, but maybe for like a niche like horror, maybe they could thrive. Um, so, Jacob, I'm wondering, uh, w- what are your thoughts on? Uh, the future of Fangoria. It's interesting because I grew up knowing the legends of Fangoria. I'm a few years too young for it to have a had a huge impact on me. So I was more familiar with its legacy and the people who were inspired by it and grew up reading it. And it had as many cameo appearances in horror movies than I was by actually picking up Fangoria magazine and reading it. But as a big horror fan, I'm very intrigued and very happy because I love holding physical magazines. I know it's wasteful, but I same reason why I like reading physical books. If this would be a good publication, uh, four times a year, I think is what they said it's going to be. Uh, I feel like they can sustain that. And I mean, I just do on a, on a personal note. Uh, uh, they've hired Phil Nobile Jr. of uh, Birth Movies Death to be their editor in chief, and he's uh, to be clear, a friend of mine. I know him in the real world, but he is an incredible writer, a really sharp mind for genre. Uh, just a I don't, I don't want to like overpraise him. I don't give him a big head, but I, I enjoy reading him stuff very much. And if anybody could say, "Hey, come check out Fangoria. Come buy his physical magazine," uh, in an age where nobody buys physical magazines, I think putting him in charge is putting him in charge is a good way to get me to give it a shot. So if you're listening, Phil, you've sold me. I'm going to go try out your damn magazine. Well, okay, I have to go to Slash Films resident millennial and ask her. Do you subscribe to any movie magazines? Not right now, though. I was subscribed to Entertainment Weekly for a good 10 years, um, maybe more. It was my main go-to magazine through middle school and high school. And then I dropped off after college just because, you know, I left. But I do like movie magazines. I want to subscribe to them again. Probably won't subscribe to Fangoria because um don't have that that huge interest in horror, but I do want to get back into supporting print outlets. Uh, I do think that they're uh, a sadly dying sort of subscription stream and we should support them as much as we can. Um, And I know I'm a millennial and I cut the cord (laughs) on many things, but I will say support your local newspapers and magazines. Yeah, I subscribe to Empire Magazine on my iPad, but I, I you know, sometimes many mo- like a couple months will go by before I even go to check that because I just forget or, you know, I don't know, I, I just don't have the interest to jump into it as much as I, I used to. And I do subscribe to Entertainment Weekly, but that's only because I attended Stanley's Kamikaze. And apparently that there's an EW subscription uh, bundled in there where you basically just get a free year or two of Entertainment Weekly. I, I guess it's probably a way for Entertainment Weekly to, um, you know. Uh, increase their numbers of uh, of <laughs> to their advertisers and stuff, um, but I don't really look at it much because most of that content goes online. Like you know, I just got the Han Solo issue in, but w- we had read all their coverage on the EW.com, so I'm not even sure the point. I, I do subscribe to Wired magazine, and recently they decided that they or they announced that they were going to put up a paywall to their content because most of their content in their magazine you can actually read online 
or could read online, and now you won't be able to. Uh, but I don't know. I'm just not sure if the future of you know movie uh, written movie coverage is going to be in print. I know some people can do it, like Birth Movies Death uh, has that alliance with uh, Alamo Drafthouse, and they produce those special issues. Um, but uh, the, you know, there's also people that buy that stuff for the Mondo uh, coverage inside there, like uh, the, the images and stuff. Um, so I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, Chris, will you be subscribing to Fingoria? I think I will. Uh, I belong to one. I subscribe to one magazine right now. It's it's Film Comment, which is cool. But uh, like you, I don't always read it when it shows up. I, I sort of like stash it away. And I tell myself one day when I have time, I'll, I'll read this. And I don't know when that will be. But at the very least, um, even if I don't subscribe to Fangoria, which I think I will, but even if I don't, I will pick it up if I see it like on newsstands because that's how I used to buy it. You know, if I, anytime I went to like Barnes and Noble or something, I saw it on a, on a newsstand, I would I would have to grab it. So I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Yeah, I think I'll give it a shot as well. Uh, but let's move on to this, some trailers. A couple trailers hit in the last 24 hours. Uh, the first of which we'll talk about is Cobra Kai, the YouTube uh, series, which is a Karate Kid sequel. Um, you, you can watch this trailer on slashfilm.com and on YouTube. Um, we have all seen it, so I thought we'd give our reaction to this trailer. Um, you know, surprisingly, I'm not sure what I, what I expected because this is a YouTube original series and I think I expected, uh, cheap and it was gonna, you know, it's a comedy, so I thought it was gonna be kind of jokey and stuff and i know this is a teaser trailer but boy did this teaser trailer get me excited i'm a fan of the karate kid series even you know the bad movies um and uh seeing this trailer definitely tapped into my nostalgia i have um i have an all, all valley uh karate kid uh, karate championships poster on my wall in my office um it, it, the, the only thing that worries me is when we finally get to the end of the trailer there is we actually get to see the two stars of this uh film uh i'm forgetting the names but basically uh daniel larusso and uh the the bad kid johnny from 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 the original karate kid and boy do they look old and probably not like you know like mainstream actors so i'm 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 a little worried you know they we we didn't really get to see them talk much but uh you know i'll I'll go to ht HD, do you have any relationship with the Karate Kid films? And what, what do you think of this trailer? I've seen the first Karate Kid. I haven't seen any of the sequels. And I like the first Karate Kid. I, you know, I joined it. I enjoyed it as a sort of uh, classic film. And um, it's it's a good it's a good uh, underdog movie. So um, I, but I don't really have, I think, the connection with it that you do. Um, so I don't think I had quite the reaction when I watched the Cobra Kai trailer. And I will say that it does look sort of like a YouTube Red Series trailer, which it is for like a little, little budget, not that the acting is uh, acting isn't much to write home about. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, it looks it looks like a good redemption story, which I'm happy to see uh, sort of nostalgic series like these try to um, put a new twist on an old story rather than try to retread it. So I do like that reversal. I like having um, William Zapka as like the sort of protagonist now. Uh, so it's it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm intrigued so far. I think the trailer's fine, although it looks a little bit low budget. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? 
Well, I'm about to blow everyone's mind and admit that I have never seen The Karate Kid. So What? I yeah. think something that Chris has. <laughs> okay, I, this is crazy because, Chris, you see more movies than I think anybody I know. Like, how many movies did you see last year? Eight million? No, I don't know. <laughs> it was like at least 400 and something. But uh, Why? No, Why have you not I've, seen it? I don't know. I've somehow avoided seeing this. I've seen parts of the one with Hillary Swank, whatever that one's called. I don't know. Uh, but the second I'm, one is no, the no, third one. That was like the reboot. Uh it might have been fourth. <laughs> I, I've only seen that on TV. I saw the movie Sidekicks with Chuck Norris, which sort of looks like the same movie. Does that count? Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right. So having not seen the karate kid this didn't really do that much with for me. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it looks bad. I just I don't really have much of an opinion just because I've somehow never yeah. seen The Karate Kid. I mean, I know what happens in it. Yeah. You know, I know the the wax on, wax off stuff, but I've just never. You seen know what? It I somehow. would actually urge you to see it because um, you know a lot of people write off The Karate Kid as kind of like just disposable entertainment of the '80s. But you know, Pat Morita's performance in that film, I, th- I believe, it got nominated for Academy Award. If a uh, if if not, then I sound like an idiot. But uh, Jacob, what are your thoughts on this trailer? Well, I have seen Karate Kid. It's not a movie that has a special place in my heart, so I can't be like super excited in a nostalgic way. But I'll actually disagree with HT here. I was uh, pleasantly surprised by how this uh, trailer looked. I thought it looked maybe not super glossy, but more than I expected a YouTube series to look. And I'm curious to see how these uh, two lead actors fa- uh, fare when they're not the young kids that used to be, if they can still hold our interest and bring those characters back to life. I guess it's going to be an interesting thing. I I won't say I'll be signing up for YouTube Red to watch it. I don't have that uh, connection to it. But I, I, am, I hope it's good because I want Peter to be happy, and he seems very excited <laughs> by this. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say because I have nothing else to add. I just thought it was gonna be crap. I don't know. I um. And by the way, Pat Morita did win or did uh, was nominated for Academy Award for his performance as Mr. Miyagi in the original Karate Kid. Um, there there is a amazing scene with him drunk in that movie that is uh, hits you in the heart. Um, but uh, yeah, I I you know I don't expect this movie or this uh, show to be good. I do have YouTube Red. I've mentioned on the podcast in the past. Like, I'm not sure how much YouTube Red costs, but um, I, I don't subscribe for their original content. But it, subscribing to YouTube Red means that I never have to watch a YouTube ad anywhere on YouTube, or if a YouTube clip's embedded on Slash Film or anywhere. So for me, whatever that price is five, ten dollars it's worth it. Um, so I, I'll definitely give it a try when it when it comes out. I almost, after seeing this teaser, I almost wish they tried to go the big screen route um, with, 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 a, with a new you know, legacy equal, rather than like a web series, because I, I'm sure that this probably will not be what I want it to be. <laughs> but uh, we'll have to see. Um, but let's talk about another film that has taken a long, long time to get a sequel, and that is The Incredibles 2. The first trailer, or the first uh, full-length trailer for that premiered during uh, the Olympics. Um, before I give my reaction, let's go to, um, who, who is who do you think is the biggest Incredibles fan of, of the people on this podcast? No one's jumping oh, out? Oh, I, I like it quite a bit. It's my top five Pixar, if that matters to anyone else. Okay, let's go, let's go to Jacob. Jacob, what did you think of this trailer? It's a good little trailer. I mean, it doesn't have a lot going on in it in terms of uh, big reveals or even um, 
uh, plot. It's only 90 seconds long, uh, but it's fun. I like seeing these characters again, and I liked seeing uh, how the uh, animators of Pixar managed to retain the original character designs, which have these sort of this bold cartoonist simplicity to them while also having all the textures of the clothing in the world around them look like a 2018 animated movie. Uh, I'm glad they didn't try to make everything a little too realistic. I, I kind of like how the original Incredibles leans into the uh, more difficult technology of the time by making everything look like it came out of a comic strip. Uh, so the animation's impressive. I, I like the reversal of uh, Mr. Incredible having to stay at home while his wife goes out and saves the day. I like hearing Bob Odenkirk's voice in a Pixar trailer. Uh, I, I, just, I was just not surprised, but uh, excited uh, by how happy I was to see these characters again. And uh, the backseat filmmaker in me <laughs> had the opinion of, oh, they should jump forward 10 years. Let's see the Incredibles as grandparents to see what happens next. Uh, but seeing all these characters in the age we left them off over a decade ago, it, it really did. It supplied me with the nostalgia that Karate Kid did for you, Peter. I was very, very happy with this. The, the interesting thing for this trailer for me, I think, is how... Uh situational it just seems to be it's it, it doesn't seem to be like oh um you know brad bird said for years you know he'd only make a sequel if he had a reason to make a sequel and i'm not seeing the reason in this trailer yet i i know that they're probably keeping their cards close to their chest um but you know it does seem like a lot of fun and funny moments and situations but it doesn't. I'm not seeing the story re- reason for doing the sequel yet. Although I am excited for it. It's just like, you know, it, it, it's uh, the trailer is a little bit anticlimactic for someone who's been waiting all these years for a sequel. HD, what are your thoughts on the Incredibles two trailer? I like this trailer. I mean, I think it was really interesting. Um, I mean, we already knew that it was going to pick up directly after the events of the first Incredibles, and seeing it happen and being so in tone uh, with the first movie, it's almost like we never left, and it feels like a continuate, a very smooth continuation of the original story, which is why I think like the kind of anticlimactic feeling comes from Peter. I do like the sort of more uh, the bigger exploration of sort of parenting that we see, especially with uh, Mr. Incredible having to take on single dad roles as Elastigirl uh, becomes the kind of breadwinner of the family. And that's an interesting little reversal that we see. But um, yeah, it's I like it. And at the same time, it's like, I'm intrigued enough, and I'm, but I'm not completely excited, if you know what I mean. Just because it was never one of my favorite Pixar movies. It was a movie I really appreciated, and I was like, that's a good film. Uh, and here it's just kind of the same sort of vibe I'm getting. I'm like, this, this seems like a good film. I'll go see it in theaters. I, really, I will enjoy it, but I won't have an ecstatic reaction to it. Well, let's go to Chris, who's probably going to surprise me in telling me he's never seen The Incredibles. <laughs> No, I have seen The Incredibles. I do like The Incredibles a lot. Uh, This trailer, it's a little choppy. It it seems like they're going out of their way to keep stuff secret, which I appreciate. But at the same time, it makes the trailer look very, like I said, choppy. It seems like there's a lot of weird cuts in this trailer and it doesn't flow as nice as I would like it to. Uh, That said, you know, I'm I will happily see the film. Um I do think after all this time, this if this is like the best trailer they can release for this long-awaited sequel, it's not the best sign. But I'm 
I will remain cautiously optimistic. I want this to be a good movie. I will happily see it. I do know Brad Bird is, you know, one of those filmmakers who really has an opinion on like trying to preserve the storytelling of his films. Not not that any filmmaker isn't of that, uh, you know, that viewpoint, but he has like, you know, a really strong uh, viewpoint of that. And he's obviously, um, you know, uh, a, a person who has a, a lot of pull at Pixar. So I'm wondering if it is his push of like not wanting to show too much that has led to that kind of choppiness and us not kind of uh, getting that much of a glimpse other than, you know, that kind of character reversal that HG's talking about. Like, I I feel like we haven't gotten the, you know, what the big pitch was when Brad Bird went into the room with John Lasseter and was like, you know, I got the idea for Incredibles 2. Here it is. And I don't feel like I got that from this trailer, but uh, I'm excited to, to, to find it out. But, um, we, we are running long. Let's go into the mailbag. MG writes in, Yesterday I saw the Orient Express remake, and in the first scene in Jerusalem, there is an actor shouting in Arabic. That said actor is Egyptian, and here's my grape. The Egyptian Arabic dialect sounds nothing like the one in Jerusalem. Couldn't the producers do a courtesy check uh, on such a big-budget movie? Does it annoy you to hear a person using the wrong dialect? I know that Boston and Philadelphia dialects are notoriously butchered in the United States. Does it annoy you in any way? Um, You know, he mentions Philadelphia, so I'll go to Chris. Chris, you're from Philly. Does it annoy you? No, because the Philly accent is terrible. I don't want to hear that in movies. Like, please, (laughs) by all means, don't try to get the Philly accent right. It's awful. People say water instead of water. I hate it. So I'm fine with it. I, <laughs> but that's me. Yeah, now I, I'm I'm originally from the Boston area, and uh, where if you're not like in deep deep Boston, you know, not everybody has that Boston accent. Like I'm I'm sure I'm sure I have some remnants of the Boston accent, but I, I'm sure many of you out there do, does not hear. Like when you think of someone from Boston, you imagine people from you know all those Ben Affleck movies, um, and not everybody in Boston talks like that. Um, although a lot do, so I I, I can't uh, defend that. But uh, uh, HT. Do you have any problems with dialects in movies? This is interesting because to me, this wasn't an issue of dialects, but an issue of diverse casting in a way, because it's sort of a lot of Hollywood's problems of conflating all, for example, Middle Eastern actors with other Middle Eastern, with every Middle Eastern country. So yes, like this Egyptian actor speaking in Arabic dialect will speak speaking Arabic will speak in an Egyptian dialect because he's Egyptian uh, as opposed to if they cast someone who was from the Jerusalem area. So that's interesting to me because um, yeah, it's, it's an issue that Hollywood has constantly struggled with and I don't see them uh, fixing it anytime soon, but hopefully it will be something that they will be more cognizant of coming, going forward. Uh, Dialect wise, uh, I don't think I get bothered if I don't if I'm not aware of it. Uh, for example, if I'm not familiar with those certain dialects from certain regions. Jacob, do you have any problems with uh, inaccurate dialects in movies? Well, I have uh, two perspectives here, which is that I lived for 21 years now in Texas, so I often see movies where people use a deep South accent from the Georgia uh, Alabama area to 
reflect a Texas accent, which is incredibly wrong. And it, even though I'm not a native Texan, it drives me up a wall because I, I know so many native Texans. Uh, most recent example is not a movie, but a video game, uh, Wolfenstein 2, a very good game whose lead character is from Texas, and they make a big deal of him being from Texas, but his accent is pure, deep-fried uh, Alabama or Georgia. So it's uh, it's very, very... Uh, my, my, my my wife, who's from Dallas and has family from uh, all over Texas, was watched me play it and was just so annoyed by his deep South accent, uh, despite always talking about Texas. But at the same time, um, I was raised by a Bostonian, and so I always see people complaining about uh, Boston accents in movies and how they're always over the top. But this has never bothered me because my mom's accent is very much, I packed my cat in the habit yad for the Dat Myth game. It yeah. is the most over-the-top cartoonish <laughs> accent you've ever heard. I love her and I love that accent. Um, but so when people say, oh, it's so over-the-top, it's so silly, people in Boston don't talk like that. The only Bostonian I know, the one who I've known my entire life, <laughs> talks just like that. Oh, there's a ton um, of so people that talk like that. Be... There's a ton of people that talk like that. I just wish in these movies it wasn't everybody on screen talking like that because not everybody in Boston talks like that. <laughs> but um yeah, no I, I I think we've covered kind of the gambit here. I, I wonder if um you know, it it's hard for me to recognize like I definitely wouldn't have recognized that thing in the Orient Express. I feel like, you know, we're uh uh as Americans, we are, aren't uh as educated about the rest of the world, uh not to group us all in a <laughs> In a group, but at least me. Uh, so I, 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 I don't think I would notice, um, you know, someone doing a bad English accent or a bad, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, like maybe it's less noticeable for us because of our lack of education in the world. Like Jacob, what would you say to that? It's definitely a case of education. Uh, America definitely could stand to learn more about other cultures, and that's me included. Like, I would never recognize this in Murder on the Orient Express. Um, same time, though, it's uh, there are so many moving parts in a movie that, uh, like, I'm not going to, I don't think this is a case where people involved in Murder on the Express probably did. I don't think they set out to say, we don't care. I think this is a case of just them not being knowledgeable enough to have made the decision and stuff like this and emails like this will hopefully help people do better in the future. Uh, like I said, I don't think this is a malicious decision because otherwise um, this movie, Murder um, No Express, goes out of its way to uh, create more roles for people of color and people from different backgrounds and races. So it's a movie that has its heart in the right place at all times. So I don't think it's a malicious thing from the filmmakers or from Americans or from Hollywood, at least not in this case. But it's definitely something we could all do better about. I, I think I just have a bad ear for this kind of thing. I, I know, like, sometimes there's, like, an actor from from the U.K. that is doing an American accent, and, you know, people around me are like, oh, my God, his American accent was horrible. I'm like, I, I didn't even notice. <laughs> so so may, may, maybe I just uh, don't have an ear for these kind of things. But, um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting topic. I, I do think if you're, you're making a movie at that level, you're not making a, you know, $10 million movie. You're making a movie in, you know, uh, on a level where you can do the research and get the the right casting and get the right dialect. Uh, the, you know, Hollywood should be doing a better job at this. But um, uh, I, I'd like to hear from you guys out there if, if you have any movies in particular that you had problems with uh, the dialect not being accurate in some way, you can send that to me at peter at slash film .com, uh, and uh, please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, Jacob, where can people find more of your work online? 
You can find me at SlashFilm.com every single day and on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. Chris, where can people find you? I am also at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. HD, where can we find you? Oh, hey, I'm also at SlashFilm.com <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can't find me at Slash Home because I only have one hand, but you can find me at Slash Home on Twitter. Uh, and you can find uh, this podcast, Slash Home Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, uh, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>